Testing, one, two, three, testing. I, I think it works. Okay. This is Lisa Harrison from Mad Money Monster, and I am here as always with Mr. Mad Money Monster. And we are bringing you this podcast to talk about your finances and talk about improving your finances and to get you on the right path through relatable and hopefully entertaining stories. We can only hope. <laughs> Let's get into it. And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Mr. Mad Money Monster going solo for this episode of the Mad Money Monster Show. I'm not a finance guy. And uh, I kind of got roped into this whole finance world and and retirement stuff and all that uh, because of Mrs. Mad Money Monster. And I'm kind of along for the ride. But I've talked about my personal experiences with money, my avoidance of money, and uh, looking at things in, in a certain way that when I first came to this community, uh, I avoided a lot of the podcasts or, or money advice because I, I just didn't want to hear constantly of, of how badly I was running my own financial affairs, I guess is how it was. I thought I'd share a story for this podcast today. It'll be a short podcast, but it's something I thought was relatable and, and worth sharing. And that is um, when I was in my first marriage with my ex-wife, Uh, we decided we were going to buy a home. I lived in an area of of Northeast Pennsylvania in the Poconos that that had been experiencing a huge housing boom uh, basically since the early 80s. And it's it's absolutely bizarre how how the area that I lived in just blew up literally overnight. It it was amazing. And uh, property values soared and and everybody was pouring in from New York and New Jersey to to get a little slice of uh, God's country up in the Poconos. And Amazing how houses would just go up. And the problem was when that housing bubble burst, people found out that their houses really weren't worth anything of, of what they paid for them. In fact, I read an article where uh, my county and, and a neighboring county had the uh, second highest foreclosure rates to California. That's how bad it was. But in around 1997, 98, uh, my ex-wife and I decided we were going to look at houses and, and buy our home. We were renting a small farmhouse in, in the west end of our, our area and thought it was time to, to buy a home. One of my stipulations that, that I've always loved is, is just having more property because once you, once you have a home, you can't get rid of your neighbors. And I like solitude. So I, I was looking for a home with a lot of property or at least something with with more than two acres. And of course, you're going to pay for that. And I had just started out on on an educator's salary. Uh, My ex-wife was just starting in the government at that time. So we were kind of at the low end of the pay scales. But we went out and we looked around and we found a place. Uh, It was a a beautiful home, stick built, uh, just went up, as a matter of fact, only a, a couple months earlier. So this is a brand new home and it was on eight acres of land. And it checked off all my boxes. So I was really excited. We loved the look of the home. It was, it was a modern contemporary look. It, it just had everything that we, were, we really were wanting. So we decided to, to go for this. And the, the issue that I felt was pretty much from the start, and, and look, we're going back to what we said in one of our previous podcasts, and that is, it's amazing the amount of money you can hemorrhage by thinking you're spending that money correctly. I got my new education job and the first thing I did was is I treated myself 
to a brand new car. It was a Honda. And at that time in 1996, it was $15,000. That's, that's a lot of money. And those are some big car payments per month. So you land this job and you turn right around and you're hemorrhaging that money out by giving yourself an attaboy is really what it was. Now at that time, I didn't see it that way. Your budget is completely whittled down. And that was on top of rent and utilities. We had to pay our, our heat and our electric, our cable, our garbage, everything like that. So really the, the take home, the net wasn't a lot, but we thought we were gonna you know, go big or go home and finding this house. So we ended up going uh, under contract uh, with a realtor and uh, she brought us you know, to the point where it's time to sign that sales agreement. And I started running numbers. And as much as I wanted this house, I sat with my ex-wife and, and we started running the numbers and man, it was just coming up that this wasn't gonna work. In fact, it reached a point where I said, well, we can buy this house as, as long as we don't eat for a month or uh, don't heat the house for you know maybe several weeks out of, out of the winter. And of course I'm exaggerating and, and that's all hyperbole. But, but the bottom line was we were really going to end up house poor. And there was a very good chance if things did not improve financially very quickly or we started divesting ourselves of, of some of the extraneous things that we were spending on, uh, we were just going to be basically living and working to support this home. So for me, I had to sit back and ask myself, you know, are eight acres and that solitude really worth living almost hand to mouth. I mean, you went to college. I, I paid for my own college. I was paying off my student loans at that point. They, they had kicked in. And I'm almost immediately going to have to jump back in to go up the pay scale at work to start doing the step program of getting your steps in. And that means going back to school and incurring more debt, more student loan debt on top of now a mortgage and, and everything that goes with that with home ownership. We decided we were gonna go forward with this enough, but I had this nagging eating in my belly that, that this just was going to end in disaster. But we, we went forward enough to, to finally meet uh, with our, our realtor uh, down at their home office. And uh, was I always remember that the office was located in what must have been uh, a very opulent home back in back in the day, probably in the 1930s or 40s. It was a very ornate Victorian kind of home and that was their office. So it made quite a good impression. And we went into probably what was a study or maybe a parlor and that was now their, their meeting room. And it had a very long table and looked almost like out of a movie set. And we went in and our realtor was this very nice, pleasant young lady uh, who brought us to her boss, who was the owner of uh, at least the franchise. This was a franchise real real estate company, but he was the local uh, manager or owner of this franchise. And I'm not going to mention that franchise. Uh, however, we went in and, and met with him and uh, we sat down with her and he started going over everything. And, you know, we, we were just doing all this stuff. If, if you've bought a home, then you know what I'm talking about. And this is the part where we're supposed to go under the agreement of sale. We're not buying the home. Uh, we were pre-approved. Of course we were pre-approved because pretty much everybody in the Poconos was pre-approved. Uh, back then, I mean, there were billboards and, and I don't know if they're still up there, but man, back in the 80s and stuff, 
there were billboards throughout the Poconos that said, you know, come on out, buy buy your home, $600 down on like a, a two, $300,000 home, 600 bucks down. It, it was like buying a car. You could just buy a house, you know, bad credit, no credit, doesn't matter. No, they don't care. As, as long as they get their money from the sale, they don't care. The real estate company or, or the, the builder, they don't care if you lose your home three months or three years down the line. They got theirs moving on. And a lot of these real estate companies also what they were doing is uh, they were building these homes and then they were turning around and then going bankrupt, uh, deliberately declaring bankruptcy and then reforming under a whole new name to avoid any liability from the substandard housing that they were putting up. So there was a lot of that monkey shines going on up there as well, too. I sat in a bar one time for lunch uh, with a fellow teacher, and behind me were two contractors sitting in a booth, and we could hear everything they were saying. And they were laughing about the stupidity of the city people. In fact, one of them called them cityots, okay? City and idiots, merging it together. And they were laughing about these cityots who come out and don't bother to test the groundwater for the proper things. They, by law, you only had to test for coliform, I believe, and something else. And uh, they, they knew they were building houses on former farmland that had a number of pesticides and nitrogens and fertilizers and things like that all in them. They didn't care. And, and they thought this was very amusing because they were talking about how one was doing this to cut corners and blah, 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 blah. And these cityots had no idea. And I remember thinking that even when we went to talk to our realtor, uh, we said, we don't want to look at houses in this area, that area, because we're locals and we know the deal. And and the realtor kind of understood that. They, they never said, oh yeah, we get it. They didn't confirm our fears, but they certainly didn't deny them either. So it was kind of an error of omission or a lie of omission, in, in my opinion. That's, that's my opinion. Later on, I would find from people that I spoke with when they uh, went to renovate their homes. Uh, they, they tore down walls to find that the insulation was literally newspaper. The builders were stuffing newspaper and grocery bag paper into the walls just so they didn't have to pump insulation or spend money on insulation. That's how bad the situation was. And we were not going to get hit with that. So we knew the builder of this home because I knew the, the owner personally. So we knew that his quality was good. We knew that this was going to be a nice house and that's what also made us excited. So we sat down with this uh, realtor and, and his assistant, uh, his associate, which I found out later, they were involved in a relationship together. And uh, we kind of suspected it while this whole thing was was brewing and building. We kind of felt that they were involved with each other. And and you'll, you'll see why that's important in a moment. Quite frankly, I, I could care less overall, but this did factor in. And while we were sitting there and they were going over, the, they were giving us the sales pitch all over again. You want this house. When we put you in this house, everything's going to be great. Once you buy this house, it's going to be awesome. So just let's get you under contract, sign this agreement of sale, and, and you're ready to go. And I wasn't signing the agreement yet. And my ex-wife kept looking at me across the table and I kept reading the agreement. And I kept looking at, you know, running numbers in my head that we had gone over, you know, privately in, in our farmhouse and our rental. And I finally said, I, I need a moment 
uh, to clear my head. And they're like, what are you talking about? And that's when the friendliness started to disappear. And we started really getting the hard sell. And the number one thing that I remember out of this conversation, out of this hard sell, was the use of the term adjusted dollars. And both of them were giving us this hard sales pitch in conjunction. They had this ready. This was their thing together. And they kept saying, you know what you're paying in rent and blah, 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 blah. And they kept coming back, fudging these numbers into what they called this umbrella term, you know, an adjusted dollars. And I finally looked at both of them. I said, what exactly does this all mean? What does this adjusted dollars mean? And all they could come back with was, is in the end, you're getting more bang for your buck by buying the home than you are renting. And, and in some arguments, that is correct. And in other ways, no, because there were certain aspects of things that really did hold true in, in our budget conversations. And one of them was, we're not going to be able to furnish this whole house. It was close to a 4,000 square foot home and it was big and we weren't going to have the money to truly furnish everything. It had a finished basement, for example. So we're going to move in, bring what we have. And quite frankly, we had a hand-me-down sectional sofa from my father when he re, uh, redid his home. He gave us his old living room set. That was going to come with us. We didn't really have the money to, to refurnish this entire home. And look, I know it's the American dream thing and you want to move into the home and make it yours and yada, yada, yada. And we just simply weren't going to be able to do that. And that was weighing on me. Like, again, if you don't have the money, you probably shouldn't be spending it. And I kept thinking, I don't want to be that guy. For example, uh, my mother was still alive at that point, And she showed me the newspaper one time when I went over to visit her and, you know, the public notices, the public auctions. And this really made uh, an impact on me. Because my mother pointed out several former classmates. I grew up in a small town, so everybody kind of knew everybody. And these public notices are kind of like public shamings, in, in my opinion. But they have to post when someone loses their house to sheriff's sale. And someone out there listening right now can explain the, the reason or the logic behind that. And I know it's a legal thing that they have to post this. Um, but several of my classmates that I knew, and one of them was an ex-girlfriend. Uh, they had to post their home was up for sheriff's sale. They lost their home. And that made an impact on me because I didn't want to join them in, in the public auction or sheriff's sale section of the local newspaper. And that was a big thing in the back of my mind. So I looked at this future husband and wife team. I don't believe they were married at the time. And I said, I need a moment to clear my head. And my ex-wife looked at me. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go take a drive. And uh, so I got my truck and I, I just drove around the town for about uh, maybe 15 minutes or so just to think. And there were no cell phones at the time. At least we didn't have one. So it wasn't even like I could call my mom or my stepdad who always made very prudent financial moves. And the reason why I'm saying that is because they had a 30-year mortgage and they, they paid it off in less than 15 years. And we've spoken about that on, on previous podcasts about how my mother and stepfather, we growing up, we lived very frugally. We did not take lavish vacations. Eating out was almost a never thing. It really was. 
The biggest treat was once or twice a month, uh, some fast food was brought home, whether McDonald's or Burger King or Arby's or something like that. But I think I can count on one hand when we went out to eat at a formal restaurant. And that is in the entire time from like fifth grade all the way through my graduating years. So, you know, high school, it, it wasn't something that was a, a basic, you know, day to day or even multi, multi week kind of thing. So I, I knew my mother had very good financial sense, but I didn't even have a cell phone to call her to get her to weigh in. And, and frankly, I felt, look, I'm a big boy now. I don't need to run to my mommy. And I know what my mother would say. If you're really feeling this way, don't buy the house. I came back and my ex-wife, I think, knew my answer uh, when I walked through the door and I sat down with them and I thanked them for everything. Uh, and I said right out, I said, you know what? I don't think we're going to do this. And their attitude, those nice smiles and everything, they turned. And their attitude became, what are you talking about? You basically have to do this. And I was like, I don't have to do anything. They, they didn't say those words, but they were really trying to corral us into the chute and make us run down the chute toward the signing of the agreement of sale. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm not speaking for my wife. And he said, well, good, because your wife feels a, a different way. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'd like to hear her say that. And she didn't. And that's that was the turning point for my ex-wife that they were trying to put words in her mouth now. And the really, folks, the masks came off these people and they were just trying to drive home the sale. And that's when it started to become nasty. And I said, we will not be able to afford this house in another year or two. We really won't. And he's like, well, again, they came back to adjusted dollars. And, and I finally just waved my hands in frustration. I said, that means nothing to me. Okay, you keep throwing out this term like it's supposed to matter, like it's supposed to mean something. It means nothing to me. You could feel the tension. It was palpable in that room. It was rising and it, it became very clear. My ex-wife and I were on one side of the table and they were on the other. And I finally just said to them, I said, look, we will lose this home and it doesn't matter to you. If we lose this home in eight weeks, eight months, or eight years, it doesn't matter to you once the bank clears and gives you your check. You don't care what happens to us and that's okay. You're a realtor. You're really not supposed to. Your job is to sell homes. I get it. I'm cutting you that slack here, man. I know what your job is supposed to be, but I'm letting you know as a consumer, we are not going to do this deal. And then I spoke those words. We are not going to buy this home. And he came back with, and I kid you not, he threatened legal action against me. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're going to try to sue me for exercising my right to not purchase a home? You are not going to lose money on this. And that's what he claimed. Well, we're losing money on this. We've already vested time into this. And I said, let me tell you something. I know the owner of this home. I know the guy who built it because he has his own construction company. And I can call this guy and I'm going to tell you right now, it won't be any skin off his nose because it's a beautiful home on beautiful acreage. And this thing is going to sell whether we buy it or not. And they came back with, again, legal action. And finally, I had to say to him, go ahead, sue me. Because if I can't afford this home, 
what money do you think you're going to get from me? And that was it, man. The deal was off. And once it came to that point where they're going to basically take a cattle prod and stick it in my side and say, you're going to do this. No way, man. It's over. And we walked. The next morning, I called the owner of the home and I explained everything. And he was just like, it's okay. He was laughing on the phone. He's like, I can't believe it came to this and, and you were so worried. He said, look, no offense. I'll have this home sold in 10 days. And I'm not kidding you folks. He sold it in less than a week. It was gone. It was under contract and gone. They were holding out for us because they personally knew me. So it was no skin off this guy's nose indeed. And the house sold and good for them. We ended up buying a house a year later, something more in our budget, because I'm now going to tell you the price of that home for eight acres and a 4,000 square foot home. They wanted 300 and some thousand dollars for that home. There is no way we could have afforded that home. We would have been house poor. Yes, it was my dream. Yes, I wanted that acreage. Yes, I wanted to be isolated. The house was beautiful. It met all of our ascetic desires, except for our budget. We ended up buying a home a year later for $100,000. And then two years later, when we went to build, we sold that home for over $164,000. And we're able to take that money and put it toward our new home to bring down that price. So we did the right thing. It wasn't easy. We got threatened. And that's what I wanted to talk about today solo on this podcast was simply my own personal feelings. If you're sitting there now listening to this going right on or I get what you're saying, look, I'm with you. It's a tough world out there. And financially, we have all these people now via the internet telling us what wonders they're doing and how amazing they are and all this other stuff. It's almost kind of like finance shaming. I'm doing great and here's how you're not and I'm going to make you feel better about yourself. Sometimes it just takes you to reach down inside yourself, pull yourself up and say, I got to do this or I don't got to do this. So thank you for listening. Have a great week. And we'll both see you next time on the Mad Money Monster Show. Uh, head on over to iTunes and give us a like and a review. And if you want to read our blog, it's madmoneymonster.com. And we are all over social media at Mad Money Monster. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at themadmoneymonster at gmail.com.